So, we're recording, and we are ready to go. Anyone else? Anything? Going once? Going twice? (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Come on, you lot. Well, lots more silliness coming up in this episode. But before we do that, if you've been listening to the show for a little while, you probably know that uh, we have this little thing of, well, the show is built on donations and advertising. So now you don't really hear do- uh, advertisements here on Adventure Rider Radio Raw, but you certainly do on uh, Adventure Rider Radio, the normal show. And that's great because all the ads that are on there, they're, they're great companies and they're stuff that, um, that are, that's applicable to us. You know, we're not taking ads for underwear and cologne and things like that, which I guess you could argue that's kind of applicable too. But in any case, so it's ads and donations and and um we have this program where we have this different tier uh, reward system i guess for if you give donations one of them is if you get $50 or more, we give your name here on Raw as, you know, a special appreciation. And, and of course, we appreciate everybody who donates. We really do. It's all great. Um, and we just like to mention these people who do the $50 or more. It seems like a, you know, that, that's sort of, um, well, that's a lot, you know. It's, it's, it's great. It's really very much appreciated. So for this month, we've got Dave Rutan or Routon. It's R-O-U-T-O-N. I don't know if I've got that right. David, sorry, David Routon. David, if, I, if I've messed that up, you got to let me know. And the other one is Dave Wood. Two Daves. So so Dave Routon and Dave Wood for this month. Thank you very much to both of you and to everyone who's donated something to the show. We really appreciate it. If you haven't and you want to check it out, drop by the website www.adventureriderradio.com. Click on the donate button. There's a bunch of different ways. We had a lot of people mention about the Patreon. I mentioned it a while ago. We did sign up for it. So if you want, you can give monthly and you don't have to give very much. You could give anything from a dollar on up and that's just once a month that it gets billed great way to support the show if you're into it but don't fret if you don't want to donate you don't have to you can still listen for free all of our shows for adventure rider radio and air Our raw all free for you to download download enjoy that's the main thing that's what we want to do first well now let's get into april adventure rider radio raw 2017 Canoeist Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia. It is April 2017, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind. Completely unscripted, except for Graham's part, we have to give him scripts. Raw and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, we have four of our regular five Overland co-hosts, starting with Shirley Hardy Ricks in Australia. Shirley, good morning. An early good morning. Good. Oh, I can't start to tell you how early it is, but good morning, Jim and, and everyone at the round table. Brian is an apology this morning. He's uh, in the country, unable to speak to us. Because you're so moving you'll house. You'll just have to put up with me. We are moving house. I am sitting in a sea of boxes at the moment. Uh, it's a very scary thing. They say this is why marriages break up. Uh, moving house, one of the most stressful things you can do. Is that right? And you'll note Brian's not here. <laughs> so uh, you haven't done the final inspection yet. That comes. Uh, we have final inspection on this house um, tomorrow. So I have to vacuum around the boxes. 
and um, Brian's up at the other house having final inspect doing final inspection now. Grant, uh, good afternoon. Grant is in British Columbia. Yeah, and it's a beautiful day here. This, we were beginning to think that spring wasn't going to come, but we've now had a couple of fantastic, beautiful weather days, and the bike is going to be on the road very shortly, finally. You mean it hasn't been on the road all winter? Did you plan that? No. Well, yeah, in British Columbia, our uh, one-year insurance is obscene, so if you're not riding very much during the winter, yeah, it's not really worth insuring it. Mm. It's uh, You're talking $100 a ride, roughly. Yeah, the winter, really? I foolishly left my insurance on. I mean, I would normally get enough riding out of the winter to make it worth my while, but this winter, no way. We, we had so much snow. Yeah. Mm, not worth it. Yeah, yeah. That's That was the forecast I saw for, for bad winter. It was going to be tough, and I thought, no. My annual insurance for just basic to get it on the road is $1,350, and that's a discount because I'm over 65. And then you talk fire and theft, and it almost doubles, so yeah. forget it. Yeah. Bloody hell, what? How much? It's crazy. How much yeah, did you exactly. say? It's it's obscene the amount of money we pay in British Columbia for bike insurance. It's just obscene. Is that um, insurance that you want to take to, if the bike's stolen or compulsory insurance? Compulsory insurance just to put a plate on it and write it down the road for me is thirteen thirty eight a year. Bloody what's, hell. What's that in US Sorry, dollars? $1,100. How much? <laughs> About $30 US. dollars <laughs> in the toilet. Um, it's about 1000 bucks US. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. Just wow. for basic insurance. And that much again if you want fire and theft. That's... So what is it about riders in British Columbia that it's so expensive? <laughs> Let's not go there. Oh. Oh. It's not oh, the riders. It... We're great riders in British Columbia. We have a thing here called no-fault insurance which means even if it's not your fault, it doesn't matter. Your premium goes up along with everybody else's. And they, um, the way it works is the fault is spread out over everybody. So even if motorcyclists are not low, low representation in fault, they still get hit hard because they're just hit just as much as everybody else. So insurance is obscene, and there's all kinds of nonsense going on with ICBC, the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia, and things that are happening there, and the amount of stupid things they've been doing and the amount of money they've been wasting. So don't get me started on a rant. But you will So find... what you're trying to say is that the insurance company guys aren't fat cats? Fat cats? Yeah, I would yeah. say that they are. Yeah, definitely <laughs> the executives are for sure. There's no doubt. But they're still losing yeah. money. Yeah. Let's not go there. And the frustrating part... <laughs> Yeah, the frustrating part of it, just just my one last little tidbit. This came in in about, oh, 1974, 75, and I was one of the guys that was on the radio and making all kinds of noise about why we shouldn't have ICBC and how it was disadvantaging um, British Columbia motorcyclists. Didn't matter. We lost anyway, and it's happened. So it's still bad. Mm. And we continue, and rant. And we continue to so lose. So we're not looking for advertisers from the insurance industry then. <laughs> it won't be ICBC. Oh, don't don't start getting all. Did it just get start getting all commercial on us, Graham? <laughs> I think you probably well should be. Get some of that money back in the system. And Amen. we we have Sam Manicom in the UK. Good evening, Sam. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's really nice to be back on the show. You, you must be looking at spring in the UK by now. It has been absolutely drop-dead gorgeous for, I don't know, um, over a week now. 
um, spring flowers out everywhere, blue skies. It's it, it's just been absolutely stunning. We've been um, getting temperatures up around um, sort of 18, 19 degrees, which is pretty unusual for here for this time of year. But, um, yeah, it's been quite spectacular. And, yeah, I've been out riding. It's, it's yeah, lovely. And you're still parking your bike on the street. I am. Do you know, I, I thought about got- you, the I guess it was last week, we, we were working on the, the show about um, winching and pulling your motorcycles out. And we came mm. across this thing we posted on our website. Somebody who is in an apartment and uses a winch to pull their motorcycle up because they don't want to leave it on the street because it'll be stolen and puts it on a rack that hangs off their balcony. How cool is that? Cool I think it's that? absolutely brilliant and we considered it. We, um, we had a good look at houses in Holland because a lot of the old warehouse houses have these um, sort of beams that stick out of the front of them and that was how they hoisted stuff up. But um, it's funny that our landlord didn't seem too impressed with the idea. Shame. Yeah, people are so I would paranoid. have thought your insurance would go up a lot if there was a risk your bike would plummet to the ground and kill a pedestrian. No, no, no. It wouldn't have landed on, on a pedestrian. It just would have landed in, in amongst the tulips in the front garden. So it would oh, have had a soft right landing. That's just okay. keep, it, keep, imagine... keep it going with, with the Dutch theme there, you see. And I would imagine a BMW has something for it to be towed by as well, so it'd be easy to hook a winch on there. <laughs> and we also have Graham Field, Bulgaria. Graham, good evening. Good evening. Now, on my script, it says, hello, it's an honour and a privilege to be here. Thank you. Oh, no, hang on, I've got Sam's script here. No, no, that's, it's page two. Look for the blue page. It's the blue page is yours. <laughs> <laughs> so so in Bulgaria what's what's been happening oh god all sorts of things but I can't really talk about them. I mean they're not related to adventure motorcycling but it's all been going on so it is still the happening place to live as you know Jim <laughs> <laughs> that's why I asked I wanted to see what, what I could get out of you um so after all this time what have you been there two years now uh it's it'll be coming up for two years shortly yeah two years and is it still the place to be yeah, yeah. There's no regrets in 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 that um, in that regard. No, I love it. I really am happy here. It's it's a wonderful country. And last year I was so into doing house stuff, and now spring is here. Heard my first cuckoo a couple of days ago. Now spring is here. I can get on the bike and uh, and start exploring. I can ride in in nine days. I'm well, allowed to start riding again after my back operation. That, that's what I was going to so, say. That's what brings me to my next question: was was how are you doing there? Obviously, you're doing well. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's really good. There's there's still a little pain and discomfort, which I'm hoping with more physio that's going to go. But even if it doesn't, I'm still better than I was before the operation. So at this point, it's all good. And and I, I do notice things like before, you know, if you if you park your truck and on a slight camber on the road and the door goes open all the way, oh, shit, how am I going to reach that? <laughs> but now I just don't have to think about it. I can just close it. So it's just little things like, like taking two steps at a time when you're going upstairs. And, and uh, yeah, it's getting way, way better. And they said two months after the off, I can start riding again. I've had a couple of sneaky little rides. And today, for the first time in about six months, I pulled the KLR out of the garage and, and blew all the dust off it with an airline, put the battery on, which has been indoors on charge all winter. And it started. I mean, it, the second I pressed the button, it started. It was saying, come on, let's go somewhere. <laughs> Good old KLR. They're so reliable. <laughs> Well, I uh, I have our, our first topic here from um, I think this was this was given to us by Sam Manicom. It's um, no 
no, 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 no. Come no, on. No. Oh, uh, Graham, Graham, Graham's got to take credit. Oh, are you, oh sorry. Well, let's, let's, see, let's see if the subject falls flat. You can give the credit to Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got broad shoulders. You know, you know what this subject reminds me of? Have you guys ever heard the, the Cheech and Chong one where it's uh, what I did on my summer vacation? No. No. You guys have never heard that? Where the, where the kid's at the front of the class and he says, uh, or they makes him get up there. I, I'm not going to do this. This, this, this is not going to work. But he, he comes up and he has to, he has to, he reads his, his story about, you know, on the first day of my summer vacation, I went downtown to look for a job. You've never heard that? No. Nope. No. I know the toothpick. It's a toothpick, man. No, no, man. It's a joint. No, no, it's a toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, the, the same characters. But in any case, so the first one is what I like most about being on the road. Graham, you want to just talk about this? Oh, do I? Um, okay. Um, I mean, about the subject. Oh, we just got... Yeah. <laughs> Not about how I came up with the idea. No, no, I don't want to hear um, about how you were sitting somewhere. No, I don't. I just want to hear about the subject. Right. What I like most about being on the road by Graham Field... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> one day uh, well okay um it's little things really it's as as you know i'm not big on research and, and we have sort of touched on this before not the research issue but sometimes and I'll, I'll, I'll just to reiterate briefly you will be in places where you'd be a fool to miss certain sites Taj Mahal whatever and you have to go there, and it's tourist hell. And sometimes the place at Taj Mahal, for example, is, is an exception because I don't care how many people are there. It's a stunning sight. But there are places you go which are just tourist hell, but you feel like you have to go there because you're in the vicinity and you really should see it. What I like, the, the, the things I like are the tiny things that is so hard to describe. But because I don't necessarily always know where I'm going, when you And for me, I love the wide open spaces. I loved untouched countryside, which is why I like Mongolia so much, because Genghis Khan could have been there in the 1200s looking at the same view that I was, and it hasn't changed. And they're the sort of things I love. So, And a couple of images come into my head. There was one in Turkey, in eastern Turkey, where I just went over the brow of a hill, and there was just undulating road, rolling mountains, and it was just, when I say mountains, they were just like rock and stone. And there was, there was no trees. And it was just this barren expanse as far as you can see. And they're the sort of things that just really give me the buzz. It's just me and my bike and my responsibilities. There's no one else to blame. And just this untouched road, this untouched scenery. And it's little things like that which uh, really do it for me. They will be the high point of a day on the road. And... Uh, that, that's one of the things that I really love. The other, a couple of the other things would be the very brief interactions. Another image that comes into my head was in Iraq, and I had a very basic map, and I knew I should be heading southwest, and I knew I was going east, and it was just wrong, but there was no... I couldn't see a choice, and I got to this little junction, and there was a, a tiny sort of prefabricated shed there, and it's one of those really brave things or it seems brave at the time where you get off your bike and you have to go and knock at the door of the shed and inside the shed were two armed two armed guys and uh, the, the town I was looking for was killed was called uh, Erbil and so I'm saying Erbil Erbil you know that's <laughs> couldn't say anything else but I thought Erbil probably at the point across didn't know didn't know didn't know and a Mercedes came up to this junction 
and in it was a, an Arab in white robes, and they beckoned him to get out of his car. So I've got two native Iraqis, an Arab, and then me, and, uh, and I'm trying to say, look, showing my little outgoing Erbil. And it's called, they call it, when they finally figure it, they said, ah, Haulia. Haulia? Yeah, Haulia, that's where you're going. Well, that doesn't look like Erbil anyway, but okay, let's go with Haulia. So then they give you little things like that. Now, you can't really, when I write my books, it's hard to, to capture that. But there I am, all of a sudden, in Iraq, talking to a couple of armed guys, and an Arab gets out of his Mercedes to help me try and find a town, which I'm not only mispronouncing, I haven't even got the right name. And so things like that are the spectacular parts. They're the images that when I, I lay in bed at night that I, I see again and again, and not in a scary way, just in a, my God, I was so out there. I was so immersed in that country at that time, vulnerable yet not feeling threatened in any way. And the third and final thing that I love as being a solo rider are those perfect camping areas, which for me is not somewhere with a bar and a swimming pool and a bingo place. For me, it's absolute tranquility and solitude. If you've got a river, it's a bonus. If you've got somewhere where you can light a fire, that's fine. But as long as I've got, like, I'm hidden and I've got solitude and there's silence and you've just parked your bike, you've self-contained, you put up your tent, you've got everything you need for that night, and the stars are piercing bright because there's no light pollution. I think that will be the third and final thing that drives me to stay out. And they're the days when you think, I never want to do anything else. I just want to do this forever. I, I'm, I'm going to step back here and just say, how do we define being on the road? Like, is it the, you know, the thing is, what do I like most about being on the road? And, and I think, you know, you make excellent points here with the stuff you're saying, but what is, do you have to be on a trip where you can, you know, meet an Iraqi or can you get this on a one week trip? And, you know, if you're just in Europe or around home or if you're in North America in your own country, province, state? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean... For, uh, because I, the, reason, the reason I'm saying this, sorry, let me just interrupt. The reason I, I want to clarify, yeah. because I think the reason I'm saying this is because you're talking a lot about culture there, other than the camping spots. That, that's a lot about the culture, cultural experience. Is that sort of how you would see travel even, the being on the road is, is always about different cultures? Uh, that's one of the things. And I, uh, well, only one of them was culture. One of them was scenery and the other one was camping. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, culture is definitely one of them. Of course, that's why we travel to different countries, um, I think, isn't it? But, uh, the, uh, but I get, when I go to shows, uh, someone will come up to me and they say, oh, you know, yesterday we were camping on the way up here. Tomorrow we're going to be camping elsewhere. And they say, it's nothing like you do. It's like, well, it's not a competition. You are out there with your panniers packed, staying in three different places for three different nights this weekend. That's better than I'm doing. I'm just sleeping in the back of my van and selling books all day. So it's not about distance or amount of time. I think just having your panniers packed and having that independence and bothering to go away for a, a weekend, you, you're going to have a, you're going to have a memorable experience. Something is going to is, is going to click. So you might not necessarily meet an Arab and an Iraqi at a strange junction, but you're probably going to have a contact that um, is going to probably is probably going to be the highlight of your weekend. Sam, hello. <laughs> I think we're all just flummoxed at how uh, well spoken Mr. Field was and how he's 
summed everything up brilliantly. Thanks. Well, it's been a lovely show. It's nice talking to you. <laughs> okay, see ya. <laughs> yeah, you're done for the day. <laughs> Sam? Yes. Would you like some comment from me? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I'm prompting. <laughs> okay. Um, for, for me, um, being on the road actually is um, a longer trip. Yes, I can get a lot of the things out of a shorter journey that takes me out of my home environment. And people are key um, to making an adventure happen. Um, people make the world go round, don't they? And, you know, it's traveling forces you to trust strangers. And as soon as you start trusting strangers, then you get all sorts of opportunities that pop up. Um, but I guess being on the road for me means a longer journey because it takes my senses um, a little while to wake up and to get to the stage where my brain isn't thinking on must do now. But actually, let's take a wander down there and see what happens. And that when that starts happening for me, that's um, yeah, that's that's the important bit. Do you know, I actually quite like the sensation of being on a long holiday too. There's nothing finer. I mean, subject to, to weather patterns, funds and length of visas, the freedom to explore and, and to soak up the sights um, is, is just fantastic, isn't it? I mean, one of my favourite travel sayings is um, a traveller sees um, what he sees, a tourist went to see what he um, sees what he went to see. Um, and it's it's just the chance to explore all the side turnings that being on a longer journey allows you rather than running a route that's um, fairly predetermined. Um, I think it's it's also the sorts of things like learning how little we actually need to be happy. Um, I always think that everything you need in life you can fit on the back of your motorcycle. And when you're out on a longer trip, you soon start discarding stuff, giving it away or trading it, um, things that you never use um, and that you're unlikely to ever need to use. And all of a sudden you start finding that you're narrowing it down to the essentials. And like Graham said, you know, with your tent and your stove and things like that, those are the essentials, change, change of socks, change of undies. Um, it's it's a really liberating feeling. And I, I do try to do that when I get back home as well. But, um, of course, um, that, uh, that does change after a while. Um, one of the things that being on the road on a longer journey does for me is that it teaches me how to be calmer and more patient. Um, I also try to do that at home too. But, you know, if you're on the long, road long enough, then these abilities just become ingrained because – you're not in control of quite a lot of things. So you have to be calm and patient. And actually, if you get angry and uptight about things, well, you're really just missing the opportunity to um, to, to have um, new adventures. Um, do you know, um, this may sound really odd, but I actually quite like being on the road, particularly in developing world countries, because I feel wealthy. I never feel that at home. But when I'm traveling and I've got my budget and it might be 10 US dollars a day in comparison to the locals who might be lucky to have one US dollar a day, that makes me feel wealthy. Um, I mean, I'm always wealthy in happiness, but um, wealthy in cash doesn't happen very often. Um, uh, not, not that I'm whinging because I'm not getting any thinner. Um, being on the road also is important for what it teaches me about when I get home because I see at home with new eyes. Um, and I love the feeling, but by, by seeing things 
as they are and not by just how we're told, then travellers can always do something to make the world um, a better place. And we get bombarded by scandal, hype and misinformation and so on. And we're fed that on a daily basis. And Samuel Johnson um, said, um, and he sums this up perfectly with this, I think, the use of travelling is to regulate imagination by reality. And instead of thinking how may, things may be, to see things how they are. And the last thing that I have um, that's really important to me about a journey is that I laugh a lot. Um, I love the fact that when I'm on the road, I start to see the fun things um, in the simple things. And I learn to laugh at myself more. Um, I learn to become um, less defensive. And I love the way I become more observant. Um, I think that fits in with what Graham was saying about seeing the little things and, and adding real value to those. Um, on a long journey, when we're living the dream, it just enhances all of our senses. And I think that the more we see, um, the more we learn, the more we experience, um, the more that frees up the laughter in us um, because we just relax and we're taking things as they come. It's kind of odd something you said there about, you know, losing your or getting rid of your things while you're on the road, because a lot of getting ready for a trip for a lot of people is accumulating a bunch of things. You know, you, you worry about the possessions you have. What are you going to do with them while you're gone? What are you going to take with you? Have you bought enough stuff to go with you? All those sorts of things. And yet, you know, what you're describing is, is when you get on the road, you sort of you feel a, a bit of a, a freeing feeling by getting rid of it. I I think think that's, that's... Can I just add something there about the, what you were saying about getting rid of stuff? Any holiday you embark on, be it a weekend in another capital city or six months on the road on the back of a motorbike, you always take too much stuff. You're here. So as you get into the swing of either your two days in the city or six months on the road, you realise you really didn't need that and you discard stuff as well as discarding emotional baggage but physical baggage. So I don't think that's just a prerequisite of of going away on the sort of long journeys, anyone anyone packs too much stuff when they go away. But I think what what Sam's no. talking about is not so much being overpacked. And I sorry, I'm, I don't I mean to speak for you, Sam, but but what I'm hearing is that it's not so much being overpacked; it's um, simplifying. Have I got that right, Sam? It's a combination of the both, actually, um, because we all take, as, as Shirley said, we all take too much stuff, um, in part because. Well, we're sort of trained um, to plan for every eventuality to make um, our nests um, safe and comfortable as we're going. In fact, Les Madge, a friend of mine, um, came up with a a wonderful saying, and that was, anyone can travel in discomfort, but why would you want to? (laughs) Um, It just works, doesn't it? Um, But then, um, well, how many T-shirts do you really need? And... Um, I know people that travel with three stoves and I've never understood why they travel with three stoves except that it makes them happy and so I'm not being critical um, because hey every every trip is individual and we all make our trips work the way we want them to and the way we feel the most comfortable and that we're getting the most opportunities but too much stuff actually becomes a hindrance doesn't it of course. It restricts yeah. what you can do and where you can go and the, the pain in the neck of packing it up every morning and unpacking it to get at that thing that you really need that's at the bottom. Those, to me, are huge negatives. 
I'll never forget carrying my panniers when it wasn't safe um, to leave them on the bike. Um, <laughs> the bike was parked in, um, in a, a, a hotel reception area, but the, the reception area was just full of um, swarthy, unwashed, unkempt-looking guys who were very shifty, and I thought, there's no way we're going to leave the panniers on the bikes. Um, so we ended up having to carry them up four flights um, of stairs, uh, four stories. And, um, yeah, that was um, a timely reminder to me that I was carrying way too much stuff. Or that you were perhaps a little hypersensitive to the people around you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a bit tempted yeah. to leave the panniers on the bikes if we had to carry them that far. That's going with your gut feeling, yes. isn't it? <laughs> it is, absolutely. But yeah. you'd feel really bad if you came down in the morning and they were empty. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was just an air in that place that, um, that just didn't feel right, and you know we were sort of standing, um, analysing it and thinking, well, what are our senses telling us? Let's follow them because if our senses are telling us that there's something screwy here, then we'd be daft to ignore it. Um, but I was so glad when we got them finally up there. Yeah, I think you always always have to just go with your gut. If it doesn't feel good, do whatever it takes to make it feel good. I think that's mm -hmm. probably number one rule for travellers. Grant, I'm curious, how would you define being on the road? Is, does it have to be the, the longer trip? It doesn't have to be, no, I don't think so. Uh, just going away for a day ride sometimes for me is I'm on the road. Hey, I'm out here, I'm going, I go where I want. But I think there, there is a difference between a day ride or a week ride and a big trip. I, I think that's something that you really don't get into the same feeling and I hear this all the time until people have been out at least four, four to six weeks. At, at that point, your mind changes, your, uh, your, your perception of how everything is and how you feel. And your, you tend to relax and change your, the, the urgency that you have when you first head out. People start off on a trip and it's, I'm in two-week vacation mode and they go. They ride too far, too fast. They're, they feel pressured to squeeze it all in. But after about four to six weeks, they relax and they slow down. And the time spent looking at things, the time spent getting up in the morning and having a comfortable, relaxing breakfast, that changes and becomes completely different, uh, a different feeling so that you feel at one I, mean, I, I don't want to go all Zen on you here, but you start to feel at <laughs> one with the world and sit back and relax. And if I want to sit back and finish my coffee or just take my time this morning or, oh, there's a beautiful bird over there. I want to see what is it. Maybe I'll even look up what, it, what kind of a bird it is. That's okay. Whereas when you're in your two-week vacation mode, it's not okay. Time to go. Time to move. Let's get rolling. Uh, it, it's a very different feeling. And I think that that feeling is something that you never appreciate until you've been out there for six weeks or so. And it's an amazing thing. I love it. I think that slowing the pace thing, that's a great definition of it. You know, bothering to enjoy your coffee and look up the wildlife and what have you. And I think another way to find it is when you decide to have a day off the road and then it turns into two days, when all of a sudden the bike isn't as important, that's when you know you're in road mode. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. It's okay to not ride every day. Uh, I always remember this guy that was in somewhere down the coast of Africa, having left the UK, and he was six or eight weeks out, and 
he, he wrote in and he said, I don't know how you guys stand it. I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm tired of this. this. I don't know how you guys managed to do it. And, well, when was your last day off? He hadn't had a day off. He'd been riding steady for a couple of months, nonstop, every single day. And then we said, hey, take a vacation. He's a young guy. He said, go to a beach. <laughs> Relax. Take your time. And he wrote back a week or so later and said, yep, you were absolutely right. It was time to take a break. I always tell people, need a vacation from the vacation. Mm. In other words, we you always have seven a, days have a week. A, yeah, we have a huge break off the bike. Yeah, you have traveling. to. Don't go near the bike. Do something else. Go for a walk. Go for a hike in the mountains. Go for a wander around town. Sit in a cafe and talk to people. Don't ride the bike. Not packing every single day is valuable. It's a stress reliever because packing is a pain in the butt. I don't know how, I don't care how good you are at it, how quick you are at it, how well organized you are, how little stuff you got. It's a pain in the butt. So don't do it for a few days. Just do yeah. it. And going to the bathroom, your toothbrush is already there because you were there the day before as well. It's a wonderful yeah, luxury. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think that's, that's something that's really important that you, you get into after a while. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to relax. It's okay not to put on some miles. It's okay. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we're here to see things and to meet people. And if you're riding on down the road, you see things in a peripheral way, um, not as bad as in a car where everything's on a TV screen in front of you, but it's not the same as walking up to it and touching it. And totally, to totally agree, Grant. Sorry, I yeah, interrupted you. you. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I was just saying, I, totally I totally, agree. totally agree with you because um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why Berger and I normally try and stop around two o'clock in the afternoon because mm -hmm. we'll, we'll have been up with the dawn and we'll have been traveling while it's cooler and the photographic light's nice and all that sort of stuff. But dro dropping, stopping at two o'clock in the afternoon just means that we've then got time to go around and do exactly what you're talking about take some time out from the road, meet people, stare down alleyways that we might have ridden past, pop into that market that we never would have even noticed existed, etc. Um, and that's really good for the grey cells on a longer journey, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to take the time to recharge. I mean, sleep is important to, to survive. You have to sleep to allow your brain to process all those messages that you've been getting in all day long. And a day off from writing is the same thing. Gives your brain a chance to process and reorganize and think about it and, and get comfortable. And um, you, you say you stop at 2 o'clock. That's funny because we're, we're famous for the Johnson crack of noon start. <laughs> <laughs> so we get started late and we do our relaxing and maybe a little shopping or whatever in the morning. And we check things out. And then we check out at the last possible minute that the hotel will let us and then we hit the road for four or five hours and then we're done we get we stop relatively early i mean stopping at seven or eight is crazy because there's everything's booked or it's already gone um so we but we don't ride for very long during the day just four hours or something is plenty that's a good enough ride and you can put on a couple of hundred miles in that period of time depending on where you're going um and that's enough far enough yep. but the point is take your time relax, don't push, enjoy the ride because you're not, you know what it's like when you ride eight or 10 or 12 hours in a day. Your number one thing that you're thinking about is your butt's sore, you're getting tired, um, you know, when's the next gas station? Oh boy, this is going to be exciting. Another new gas station, whoopee. 
I mean, what's the point? The point is to get to someplace interesting, to see interesting things. So don't ride all day. Just take your time and relax. And I think that's the number one thing to me about being on the road is the freedom to do what you want, when you want, at the pace you want. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, you're doing something wrong. Do something else. You're going to be on the road years if you do that. Yes. It's a wonderful <laughs> thing. <laughs> Shirley, we, we didn't get your input about what you like most about it. Um, well, I, for me, I really like the cultural experiences and that um, can happen whether I'm in Australia or overseas, really. Just getting out of your own um, comfort area, you'll encounter different people with different beliefs and um, and just different experiences on a, a minor scale or a, or a large scale. And we also always take breaks off the bike. We do sometimes do long days if there's not much to see on the road and we need to get somewhere. But um, to, um, the classic example for us is, um, which Graham reminded me of when he said when one day turns into two, it took us forever to get along the Mediterranean coast in Turkey because we would get on the bike in the morning and say, today we will go 200 kilometres and we'd stop somewhere for morning tea and it would be a really nice beach. So we'd say, well, let's stay for lunch and then lunch would end up being dinner and we'd find a hotel and maybe we'll move on tomorrow. Uh, that happened all the time because the places were beautiful, the weather was gorgeous and uh, the people were really friendly. So it was just good to relax and, and enjoy it rather than pushing on and... Um, you do tend to push on at the start of a trip. It, it's just, uh, I think it's just a natural thing. You, it's the excitement and you really want to get on the road and get moving and see what's see what's out there to, to see. But um, it is a lot easier as you get into the, to the run of things. But I think you can have a really good experience on a short holiday as much as a long journey. Are you going to feed that cat? Because I think it's hungry. Look, that cat makes that noise day and night. So if I mute, I could just sit here with the mute button and just listen to you all. That'd be the only way you don't hear a cat. I don't, I don't care about That's the cat. That... The cat sort of adds to it. I'm, I'm just sort of curious. Is it hungry? Like it sounds to me, I'm hearing something that wants something. It's trying to get your attention. It's like, no, hey. he talks. He talks. He talks all the time. Put him on. I've never had a cat who does that. <laughs> yeah, it could be a substitute for Brian. <laughs> he sometimes makes more sense than Brian too, but there you go. Oh, poor Brian's not here to defend himself. <laughs> hey, Graham, talking of which, um, it's um, it, you're, you're celebrating um, a cat situation in your house, aren't you? Yes. Cat yeah, birthday. Cat birthday, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was, it was just over well, a year ago yesterday when they were all born, and um, Shed Cat, who was the only one who left home and went to stay with my friends at, uh, in the middle of the village, they've actually, they're actually driving back to England at the moment, so I've had to go and feed Shed Cat. None of them seemed that impressed it was their birthday. I seemed far more excited about it than they did. <laughs> Doesn't that sort of say something when your cat leaves home to go live with the neighbours? That wasn't my cat. That that was. It was, it was never my cat. <laughs> just saying. I could talk about this, but I will be going way off the subject of adventure motorcycling. I can just see the reviews. It was great until Graham slowed down the program talking about his bloody cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can blame our cat for that because he's making too much noise. 
I'm curious about the the whole suffering thing. I I just did an interview and talking to somebody about you know they they did a long trip and went through Africa and whatnot. And and the stories that always stick, everybody knows it, are those stories of adversity, the stories of what many people would describe as adventure. Is that part of being on the road? Do you, do you actually do you search that stuff out? You know, when you're when you're on a long trip, is that part of what makes a long trip fantastic? Is it part of what you like about being on the road? You don't have to search it out. It finds you. Mm-hmm. Adversity finds you. But that just makes tomorrow even better when you survive that horrible road or that really appalling hotel or those nasty people. And the next day the sun rises again and you meet great people and the road's fantastic and the weather's better and it's just what doesn't kill you makes you strong. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Either makes you cranky or stronger or pissed off. Oh, yeah, it makes you cranky first. Or grumpy. And then it makes you strong. (laughs) Then it makes you stronger. (laughs) Absolutely. I think as as a, uh, one of the other things on the road as a, as a solo traveller, and you can get on these, of course, you know, things will happen that bring you down and you can get on these little downward spirals and it will only take something as simple as going around a corner and there's an old man sitting on a bench and he lifts his head to hear the note of the engine and you make eye contact and he lifts his hand and waves at you and then the day it's a blank sheet. The day has started all over again, and it was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. And that's all it takes is a little thing like that to get around. And you stop mulling over the hotel I'm going to rip you off or the gas station that charged you for more fuel than you had or whatever it was. And uh, little things like that just and, – and you. I remember an old man once – uh, I was I was parked my bike and he looked at my bike. We didn't have each other's language. And he looked at it and he kind of – held his fist in his in his arm at 90 degrees and made a muscle with his bicep. And he's like, gusto. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, you, you, you only have to see the envy in someone else's eyes to remember what a wonderful thing you're doing, how much fun you're actually having, and to put the little things that have been nagging away, put them in a little fire and close that and, and remember how much fun you, you're having and that you're doing what so many other people wish they were doing. Well said. Well said. Do you know, when you started talking, I drew a little downward spiral on one side of the piece of paper and I drew a little upward spiral on the other side. And then you started telling about what what changes um, that that moment that could be a disaster or a real gripe situation, but really isn't. So, yeah, we're obviously in in tune there, mate. (laughs) You, You mean you guys are all talking about the different things that you that you like about being on the road. Do you decide what your trip is about before you go and you head for those things. I mean, Graham, you said, you know, it's scenery, it's scenery and it was culture. Do I have that right? <laughs> That's what you said. Because scenery and camping oh. are the same thing. Whatever, Jim, I'm not going to argue with you. You're the host. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> but, but hang on. So, well, so, should first. You, <laughs> so, so do you need to figure out what your trip's about before you go? Yeah. As long as you've got the scenery in there twice, I think you're good. <laughs> I think that's a trap that a lot of people fall into is actually um, planning a trip to too fine a detail before you go. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's... um, You have to have some plan, obviously. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to say in the past, the only plan was really was getting out of Essex, but I've managed that now. So... (laughs) (laughs) So... um, it, It And also, and also, more seriously, the plan was getting out of Western Europe because it was so expensive. So, you know, we say we can start our trips in a in quite a focused and fast way, 
Well, yeah, but for me, that was calculated because the second you get to Poland or the Czech Republic or anywhere, if you're leaving the UK, for example, prices drop dramatically and you can afford to slow the pace. I couldn't afford to spend two nights in a German hotel. That would take four days off the other end of my trip. So, uh, I, uh, so for me, it's to get to where things are really foreign appear for them, whether it's the food, the language, the culture, the scenery, as you mentioned, Jim, or, or whatever. But all those things, uh, I think, is, is for me, it's to just to, to feel exhilarated, to fill out my depth. They're the things that I, I, I aim to find. Graham, would you consider yourself to be an, 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 an oh, hang on a minute, adrenaline junkie? No, not at all. No, that, yeah. that's just, you only get that when it goes wrong. No, it's like people say, where's your next adventure? Well, hopefully I'm just going to go for a ride. It's only adventure if it goes wrong. <laughs> well, the reason yeah. I ask that is because um, I, I think that part of um, being on the road for me is just being constantly faced with the unusual, the exciting and sometimes dangerous things. Um, and I do enjoy the buzz of, of those constant challenges and, and changes. Um, but yes, I equally enjoy the, actually, let's stay on this beach for another two, three days that um, Shirley and Grant were talking about, because you've got to have those recharging your batteries moments. And you mentioned for the first time just then, um, um, foreign foods. Um, <laughs> that's also such an important part of being on the road, isn't it? That The things that look quite disgusting, but actually smell great and taste great. Um, or are actually quite disgusting. I was trying to be positive, Shirley. <laughs> that is so true. Everyone always talks about the good stuff, right? Well, it's funny when you were saying earlier about the things, the bad things on the road, like the bad hotels and the, and the bad roads and everything. I was thinking, yeah, and the runny bum. That's a horrible thing to have as well. <laughs> yeah. When we were in Mongolia, the first cafe we stopped at on the menu was horse rectum. Now, we opted, we opted not to try it, but we still, two years down the track, often discuss what would it have looked like on the plate and like what would it have tasted like. It just... be like chewing elastics, you know, I would think. Oh, so that's one of the great adventures of life that we passed on. Yeah, Birgit and I passed a stall in Vietnam that specialised in selling various different types of, of cooked penis. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Chocolate-covered beetles, that was another good one. I've had chocolate-covered locusts. They're actually quite nice. Okay, if you say so. In Vietnam, you're more likely to get um, dog. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. There's a great picture of... Georgie Simmons, I think it is, with a spider that had to be three inches across, half of it out of her mouth as she's chewing away. No, thank you. I'll pass. Yeah, me too. I'm not that adventurous when it comes to food. And one of the reasons was um, explained quite succinctly by Graham, the runny bum. You <laughs> motorbike trip, that's the last thing you want. Yeah, don't push your luck. <laughs> Anyone else have anything to add to what I like most about being on the road? Sure. I like what you learn. You learn a lot. You, you learn, I think, one of the most important things is that people are people everywhere. They're, 
you sort of think, oh, Iran or Africa, it's going to be so weird and so different. Well, no, not actually. People are pretty much the same everywhere. They want the same things. They want to have a nice life. They want to have a family. They want to raise their kids. They don't want to have too much trouble. They want to have a pleasant life and have a nice retirement. You know, it's all the same. But environment changes how they think about some things, uh, about politics, about uh, the way the world is, um, what's important. And I think that it's really fascinating to learn what those differences are and to learn that most of it's pretty much the same thing anyway, maybe just expressed the same, a uh, slightly different way, but really it's all the same. We all have much the same wants and desires. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to understand that you only get with lots of international travel and stopping and talking to people. The, and sitting the down other thing, and talking to them. The other thing with that, um, Grant, is that people are not the political regime. Oh, Lord, no. Lord, no. And you go, when we were in Iran, everyone said to us, oh, it'll be terrible, they're such awful people. But the Iranian people aren't awful people. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Their government's not so crash hot. And let me tell you, there are sometimes the Australian government's not so crash hot. And if people read some of the things that happen here, they go, bloody hell, what would you want to go there for? But Australians yep. are really good people. And that you've got to differentiate between the politics of a country and the people. Yeah, and they're usually people. two very, very different things. And don't be frightened of a country because of its politics. Yeah, and I, I think, think I've heard that massive... so many times. I keep hearing the same thing all the time. You have to separate the politics. I mean, not to name any countries, but there's so many countries today that have political issues that all of us would say are, wow, that's really a problem. And that could be our home country or it could be another country or don't go there because you'll die or, well, yes, but your country has a higher ratio of, of um, murders or whatever. I mean, this happens everywhere and it's all whatever you know you're comfortable with and you think is safe and whatever you don't know sounds really dangerous simply because you don't know what it is. And that's a normal thing. I mean, this is psychology 101. If you know it, you, you think it's okay. And if you don't know it, it's scary. People, it's, people say to us, aren't you frightened when you're in some of these countries? But I always point out to them, there are actually parts of Melbourne that I would not walk down in at night time or sometimes yeah. even in the daytime because there are parts of every city that are going to be a bit dodgy and you could get um, you know, hurt, robbed, whatever. So sure. it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to be overseas. Uh, we've travelled, I don't know, 170,000 kilometres uh, outside of this country and the only time we've ever been robbed on a trip was in the Broken Hill Caravan Park in New South Wales, Australia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we've I, had yeah. actually been robbed twice. Well, I shouldn't say robbed. Once was in a hotel in Mexico. Somebody stole the little stick-on with Velcro clock that we had sitting on the dash. That was it. And the other one was in a parking lot in Birmingham where somebody emptied out the fairing pockets, which are just held on with snaps, dumped it all out in the ground, and there was nothing in there. They didn't steal anything, just you know, a couple of rags and things. And that's it. That's the only issues we've ever had. But you wouldn't expect anything like, I mean, come on. Why do you have to have a major theft? It's, it doesn't happen everywhere. So no, exactly. it doesn't matter where you are. And we had a, um, a Colombian came to Canada and he comes all the way from Colombia. He's careful with his stuff all the way. He comes to Canada, parks his bike in an underground parking lot, 
with the tank bag on it and a camera in it. And he came back and it was gone. He was quite distressed. I thought Canada was safe. Well, yeah, relatively. But everything's relative. If you do stupid things, you go stupid places, you're going to get robbed, you're going to get mugged, whatever. I mean, there's places in Vancouver that, same as Shirley, there's no way I'd go down there at 2 o'clock in the morning. You've got to be nuts. It's just dumb. But going back to the, the people that you meet, I mean, that is, uh, and the things that you learn, that's what you started with, Grant. Yeah, that absolutely. is the big byproduct bonus of travel. I mean, we were talking about other things. I think I might mention scenery amongst other things, but the people that yeah, you meet. Yeah, the scenery. And the, and the, oh, thanks, Jim, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but you you really do. And, I mean, you might come back a sort of, or I, I have perhaps come back, particularly when I, I, I started bringing it into my presentations, raving about, you know, different cultures, particularly sort of Islam and that, and that they're not a problem. They're lovely people. And you you be preaching to the choir most of the time because you're preaching to travellers they know this. But you can get so uptight after, after a trip like that or some trips where you have sort of been to various cultures and various sort of places where there's different races and religions because you know that everything you're being fed through the newspapers, the media, the TV, is all bollocks. And you know this and you can't stop talking about it because they're wrong. And they're like you say, they're feeding you with fear. They're not... They're, they're because if you don't know about it, you're going to be afraid of, of it. We, luckily enough, have been able to travel and see what it's like firsthand. And like you say, Grant, they're just like us. They've got pictures of their kids on their phones. It's, it's, it's a kind of a cliche, but I saw something, you know, our governments are all the same and we're all the same. And we are not our governments. <laughs> yes, amen to that. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. You see that all the time, right. so often. Yeah. yeah. I think people have I, to get I, past that and stop listening to to the major news media and the fear-mongering that goes on. I sometimes w watch the mainstream um, news on TV, um, Grant, because I want to know what people are being told. And well, I yes. sit there and, and I'm saying things like, no, that's not true. No, hang on a minute. You can read that two ways. And why have you presented it in that way? That's painting the darkest possible picture. And, well, you're creating a huge cloud of smoke out of a tiny little pinprick of flame. Why are you doing that? Have you got no standards, no morals? Don't you realize how much damage you're doing to the world? Um, it's one of the things that I love people who go traveling because they get out of their own environments and they pick up that perspective and they soon find out what's real and what's not. Now, you know the number one mantra for the news organizations, don't you? If it bleeds, it leads. It leads. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. The more Never death let and destruction the facts and get in the way of a good story. Yeah. yeah. That's that's right. But but the yeah, thing is, you, 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 like we all tend to blame the news. It's not so much the news. The news is only going to do it because it sells. So there has to be yep. people there that want to buy it. People love gore. They really do. It's that they're rubbernecking at the accident, right? And people want to have a glimpse at what they don't want to see. Mm -hmm. I think that there's less of that, um, Jim. I think people are becoming more and more cynical about what they're seeing, and they're beginning to say, yeah. but hang on a minute, is that right? Um, be because, I mean, e even with what we're seeing in mainstream media, uh, we're already seeing things that a couple of days later are proven to be completely wrong. 
Um, and so people are becoming more cynical and they are paying less attention to it. But there's a hunger in all of us to want to know what's going on. We all want to learn. We all need to know what's happening in the world. And the biggest frustration is the complete rubbish that we're told permanently. But the sad Ooh. part about it is I think that there's so much of that going on now. And like you're saying, people are realizing it, that the, you're almost getting desensitized to it. You, you get this stuff that, um, you know, that this news that comes up that um, is not valid. And when it's proven that's not valid, as you just said, people don't seem to be even all that bothered by it. They just say, yeah, just another garbage story. And it's, oh, I, I, I just guess, hope that. I guess what I'm getting to is I'm, I'm saying that it's tough to tell what's real, I guess, unless you're actually there with your, your own two feet and, of course, your motorcycle. And even then, you know, people's experiences change. Uh, again, something I sort of touched on before. I didn't have the best time in Russia, but uh, I know a guy who did a very similar trip to my, mine the year before, also a solo trip, and had nothing bad to say about it. The people, the parties, the hospitality, the generosity, I really didn't get that much of it. So it's not even, you know, if you if you really search greener grass, it's really it's never going to be picked up by the Russian tourist industry. I don't paint a pretty picture, but um, but that was only my experience. Other people have had brilliant experiences, and likewise, where I don't have a single bad thing to say about Kazakhstan, other people hated it. So just because you've done read your blogs and done your research someone else's experience ain't going to be yours. That's why you go and do it yourself, to decide, make your own opinions. Too right. Every trip is individual. Nobody's trip is going to be say, the same as the last person or the next person, and that's one of the beauties of travel, isn't it? Uh -huh. I, I hear so often stories of people going through, well, India is a common one. Somebody goes through India and he says, I hate it. I couldn't stand it. couldn't get out fast enough. And the next one along thinks it's wonderful, fantastic, loved it, most best country on the, they've ever been to. It's very individual and it's very dependent on your approach and how you, how you approach it. I, you can approach it and say, well, this is going to be horrible or this is going to be very interesting. It's up, it's up to you to make that decision. And if you go at places like India with the right attitude in mind in the first place, it can be wonderful. But you have to make that decision up front whether it's going to be or not. And if things go wrong, well, you know, it's, hey, things go wrong. Shit happens. Deal with it. Move on. Open, open heart, open mind, bags of common sense. Absolutely. Well said, Sam. And, and something that... And avoid India. <laughs> <laughs> and something that a lot of people don't think about is dealing with returning from the trip because people put years of planning and saving into the trip and they don't give a thought about the return. Often they find themselves at the same job, the same rut, and they feel like it never happened. Oh, I'm sorry. I've read Graham's line. Oh, I apologize, oh, Graham. I, I, I wish I'd have, I wish I, I'd have said that, Jim. I, I was didn't, so eloquent. I didn't realize it's just a G here, and I thought it was for me. I'm sorry. Which brings us to our other topic, dealing with the homecoming blues. Graham, do you want to talk about that? Since it's your suggestion. I thought you, I thought you, thought you already had, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is something that I do hear quite a lot. And because just because of what you said, which is what I wrote. <laughs> exactly what you, you wrote. Do. You, put, you do anticipate your trip for years and do your planning. Most people do their planning and everything. And uh, I mean, there, I've got so many examples of this, but one guy in particular who I met on a ferry in, waiting in uh, eastern Russia, waiting to go to South Korea, his trip was over and his had been significantly longer than mine. He'd been up through Africa and he was heading back, actually, to your neck of the woods. Uh, where did they have the Olympics that time? Calgary, was it? Or 
Yeah, Ottawa, round there anyway. It was round there. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He was going back to Canada. He was really funny. He was getting his, um, he was getting a, was it a flight or a ferry? Anyway, he was, he was going to be landing or docking in San Francisco. And then his home straight was San Francisco back up to his home in Canada. That was his home straight. That's some people's dream ride, you know, Highway 101 and what have you. And, um, and I was still in touch with him. Yet afterwards, those 16 months on the road, because he went back into, he had a, a quite highly paid and lucrative job. And of course, you come back generally skin. So you go back to what you can earn the, the biggest money at the fastest. So he went back to what he'd been in before, which he hated, which is why he left it. And then felt like it never happened, like the trip never happened. Well, I don't suffer from homecoming blues too much. And, and the reason it is, is because when I get back, I almost immediately start writing a book. And I do that three ways. And again, I've talked about this before, but briefly, I have my voice recorder that really, apart from what I'm saying, reminds me of my mood because I can hear it in my voice. I have my photos that remind me of that. Oh, what's that thing? Oh, the scenery. And uh, and then I have and then I have my diary, which reminds me of events. And those three things I put together, and that's how I sit down. I write the books. So what I am doing is reliving that trip day by day. Absolutely. I don't even actually know what time of year it is when I'm back at home writing a book because I am immersed in the journey all over again. It doesn't happen the second I put the side stand down in the garage, but having got back home, that's what I do. And it is a wonderful way to relive your trip and slowly deal with the re-entry back into your Western lifestyle. Having said that, and knowing how well it works, there are enough motorcycle travel authors. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> just do it for your family don't do it for general <laughs> consumption yeah well we'll just you definitely what want is to focus on getting i was gonna say you definitely want to focus on getting all those photos and everything together while it's fresh so that you can do a presentation at a horizons unlimited travelers meeting about your trip <laughs> things like that um people your, your friends and family certainly don't want to hear your story more than once, and they probably only want to hear it for about 10 minutes before they get on to what's going on in the world and in their world. Um, so being able to talk to other people, other travelers, if you go to a meeting, you can talk to other people and find out, gee, where's the next place I'm going to go to? And talk about your story and tell people what your experience was and get them excited to go and do where you were just visiting and what you thought of it. I think that's all really important. Sam, what so, is the homecoming blues? Just, just, just describe what that feeling is. I've never had it. I don't know. Oh. So has anyone here had that? I've, no. I've seen people who've got it. Yeah, I mean, I've talked um, to people who, who've had it and who've experienced it. I know that one couple came back after being on a, I think it was just a, a year trip or something like that. They found it very difficult. They found that they were just, they didn't want to get up in the morning. They didn't want to go out. They found they were offended by by a lot of things in society, like our, our um, abundance of everything that we have in the Western world, uh, the choices that you have at the supermarket, all those sorts of things. I, I think a, a lot of people um, don't accept how different they are when they're going to come back from a trip and that they they don't think in advance about the, the point that they may not fit into their old world anymore um, and i think the key there is don't try and fit back in but still be aware that you have to swim in the same stream i mean 
Western culture, for example, works because the greater percentage of people move roughly more or less in the same direction. And if you if you try to fight against that, then the chances are you'll um, if you're the salmon swimming upstream along with everybody else. Well, there's always going to be the rock and it'll be right in front of you and you'll be the one bashing your brains out on it. Um, but there's nothing wrong with being different. In fact, I think it's a, a potentially positive thing. You know, you're coming back from a trip with a huge amount of interesting real knowledge that you can make a new and more interesting life with. And I think that it's, you know, you can't come back from a big trip expecting that you, the the round peg, you've been rounded by all of the experiences on the road. You know, sharp edges get knocked off really quickly when you're on a long journey, don't they? And But you're not going to fit exactly into the square hole of your previous everyday life. And I think another thing that gets people depressed is that they come back buzzing with um, all of the experiences and everything else. But the reality is... Other people aren't going to be deeply interested in something that they have no real grasp of, your journey. And it really helps people if they learn to use sound bites. So in other words, concentrate on what's going to be interesting to others, package the info into short um, short bites. And the photos are a perfect example of this, aren't they? I mean, show only the best and the most oddball. And if you show too many, well, you can just see the, the, the shutters coming down over people's eyes. Um, this I think some I people, think, as you say, Sam, the anecdote, have one good story, tell it well, have an end, beginning or beginning, middle and end, and then be done with it, because that's what will capture your friends and family's attention. But like you say, um, you are now around peg in a square hole. And I think that is it. You, you've come back to enlightened. This doesn't matter whether it's a motorcycle trip or a backpacking trip, whether you come back from your gap year or whatever, but you come back a different person and no one really gives a shit. They're more interested in the gossip that you left behind. And I think that's what causes the, the depression and the homecoming blues. I think it's a combination of exactly that and the sudden loss of freedom or the sensation of freedom being forced back into a routine that can be um, a, a major depression maker. And I think um, when people try to go back into their original jobs, well, they don't fit anymore. And for, for me, one of the things that always worked for me when I come back from a longer trip is that I'll do a different job, at least for a while. And it has to be a job that allows me for um, a certain amount of freedom. So, for example, um, got back from one trip and spent a couple of years um, painting and decorating and things like that. And I could work the hours that I wanted to work just as long as I hit the targets. Um, but that was a really nice halfway house between the road and taking on a, a more professional job. But, you know, with all of the experiences that somebody's picked up, the knowledge, the information, um, the awareness of themselves, everything that um, being on a, 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 a around the world journey, longer journey, um, gives a person means that actually you may well be far more suited with all of those skills to a completely different job. So um, start start just sort of gently looking around. Don't force yourself back into, into the original life. One of the things that I find works for me is that I try and find a place to live where I already have a, um, a base of friends. Um, they may not really understand everything um, that I've been up to, but I always kind of like to hope that they'll still like and enjoy my company for, because I am still me, though very different. Um, I think 
it, it's also kind of cool when you get back from a long journey to look at the world that you're coming back to with completely fresh set of eyes. Um, you've been on the road for X, Y, Z amount of time and, and you've been trained to observe and to see and to experience and to take side turnings and all of those sorts of things. Do it when you get home. Just because you're bump home doesn't mean that those on-the-road skills of observation and interaction with others and so on have to die. Why should they? You've had a buzz out of them. So um, keep them going. Explore new places. Take the back roads. Meander sideways. Go camping. Um, just transfer all of the, the new skills into your world at home. Um, I think also it helps when you come back from a long journey um, – because you have a real appreciation for the things that you took for granted originally and enjoy that appreciation. Just little things, for example, well, actually, it's not little at all, is it? Being able to drink the tap water and know <laughs> that you're not going to get sick. Isn't that wonderful? Just to be able to turn on the tap with a glass underneath it and drink it. And that's fabulous. And I never have lost the sensation of, well, this is wonderful. Every time I pour a glass of water, I have that. What Grant said about um, linking up with travel organizations like Horizons Unlimited and Overland and Expo and, and that sort of stuff, so important. They're a bit like an oasis in the real life that you've returned back to because they're people you can relax with, people you don't have to explain yourself um, with. And one thing Graham said just now was that um, – um, keeping in touch with friends that you've made, um, that's so much easier to be able to do. And just being able to keep in touch with those people means that the, the buzz of new friendship doesn't get lost when you get home. Um, yeah. Sorry, I've rattled, I've rattled, haven't I? You rattle well, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that sometimes we see a lot the the exact opposite of that. People have done a two or three year trip or whatever, even six months, and at the end of it, they're kind of done. You know, the the end of the trip has happened. It's done. Now, what new and exciting thing can I do? And very often in the old days. People went off on trips and they came back, and the number one worry was getting a, getting their job back or being a, being whether they're employable or not. Even, you know, it, it, the thinking was, oh, you've been off doing these weird and crazy things and going to strange countries, and you're obviously not very stable. And well, I don't know if we want you because we can't trust you not to take off, or um, you're obviously not a very stable person, and we want stable employees. But I think it's changed a lot today to what we hear a lot now is. Because people have done these wonderful trips and they've done this international stuff and they've learned a lot and they've shown that they're capable of dealing with problems and issues and they survived and, and they've got this international experience generally, that's actually a desirable thing for getting a job. I know a number of people that have written me and said, I got a great new job, far better. And when I told them about what I was doing, they thought, wow, that's fantastic. Yes, we want you. Um, so that's, that's a real change in the last 20 years that we've noticed. Absolutely, Grant. And um, a lot of it comes down to how you package it. If, you, if yep. you're approaching employers with this sort of uneasy feeling that actually you're not worthy anymore, but you approach them with, a, hell, I'm really worthy. Um, yeah. That positivity and the ability to explain why you're worthy um, goes leaps and bounds. And yep. you're right, no, at least no within the last drone. 20 years. Yeah, you're no longer a drone. You've got something extra, something special that I mean, if you want to sit down and dig ditches all day, okay, they don't care. They just want to know if you're going to show up tomorrow. 
but if you're going to do anything interesting, that new skills and that new attitude to dealing with problems is huge in today's world. If you can do that, I, that makes I uh, think, makes you very desirable. I think yeah, I am worthy. I'm overqualified, and I'll probably only stay for six months. <laughs> well, there's that issue too. However, the reality today is that people generally don't stay in a single job for more than a couple of years anyway. And employers know that. That's the norm. Moving on in two to three years is normal today. Whereas it used to be, you were there for life. Not anymore. So something new and exciting and different and people with new skills that understand international is a big plus. When, so, um, can I... The, <sighs> Sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> when we, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, when we did our first trip, um, Brian took long service leave. Uh, he was the head of the homicide squad in the Victoria Police Force. Uh, I had a business with two very big clients, media business, and I got someone to look after that. We knew exactly the date we had to be home. We were away for 12 months. Uh, and when we came back, we had about three days and then we went back to work. And that was a real shock to the system, but not for very long. Um, I think what you're saying about people being bored to sobs with your stories is very true. Uh, but we found that you didn't have to tell people the stories because we knew what we'd done. Mm -hmm. you know? And we just went back to our normal lives and to our old lives. And we were really happy. And um, one thing I find, I actually don't get the coming home blues because I'm always really excited to get home, no matter how long we've been away. <clears throat> I love home. I love Australia. I love being around familiar things. Um, I love being away, but coming home is not something that I dread. It's not something that I'm not looking forward to. And uh, seeing family and friends is, uh, is a good thing. But you do have to be careful you don't start boring people to tears with your stories. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. when they tell a story about something that happened to them when they were on the ride in New South Wales, don't say, well, when we were in Slovenia, <laughs> because that becomes a real pain in the ass as well. <laughs> so sometimes yeah, you just have you. to keep your stories to yourself so you still have yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds and, you familiar. Know, and, and work, I guess, because Brian and I both had um, professional careers, it wasn't that we didn't even think about would we settle back into it. You know, Brian went back into locking up crooks and I went back into telling people how wonderful people were who probably weren't that wonderful through my media business. But, you know, it's just um, we're different people up to a point when we come back from our trips, but we're still basically deep down inside the same people. We've just experienced some things that other people haven't experienced. Now, we're doing a lot of talks at the moment on our Russian trip and I am gobsmacked at how many people, particularly older people, have been to Russia. These, oh, yeah. This cruise thing that you can get in from Helsinki without a visa, which, of course, makes Russia a far less complicated place to visit, so many people, oh, yes, we've been to St Petersburg, we've been to Moscow, we love it, terrific, wonderful people, great place. Very surprising. People, the most unusual people are going to the most unusual places, people that you wouldn't expect to go to their next suburb for dinner are going to exotic places on their holidays. Is that because of organised tours? I think it is because of organised tours, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you would they would never have thought about going to Russia um, off their own bat, but to be able to 
be told where to go, when to go. This is where the food, you know, this is where you eat, this is where you drink, this is the thing you see. You're still experiencing the place. You may not experience it the same way we do when we travel to places, but you're still experiencing a different culture and it's just you've got the the security web around you of people to tell you where to go and uh, what to see. How wonderful it is that they're coming back. I mean, I can hear the buzz in your voice, Shirley. Um, that, the, the stories they must be telling their friends that their friends just would never have anticipated about places like Russia. It's... Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, oh, so, we went to I went to Russia when I was a little girl because my father was a um, a member of the Communist Party here and very revered in Russia and, and Eastern Europe. And um, no one went to Russia when we went to Russia. No one, but crazy communists like my dad. But um, now all sorts of people are going to all sorts of places, and I think that's a wonderful part of the ease of travel because of airlines are so getting cheaper and guided tours are giving people who wouldn't normally have the confidence to experience something more unusual the confidence to go and see those places. Or they don't want to go through the hassle of, of even doing it, researching. I mean, we've got a we've got a Russian moto travel company advertising on Adventure Rider Radio. And when I when I look through the, the information from them, I think, you know, that's really a cool way to do it. If you're not into doing everything yourself, maybe you've got a, a, a job that you don't want to get away from for very long, and but you've got some bucks you can just pay a little bit more of a premium and then go experience those places. And I think that's probably the people that you're running into who are taking the tours, right? They're they're paying the premium and they're getting to these sort of more exotic locations. That's right. They are paying the premium. And having dealt with the paperwork to get into Russia, I think if you can find someone who'll do it for you, it's worth being, having, paying someone to do it. Because dealing with some of that paperwork for um, Central Asia and Russia did my head in planning for our last trip. We find a lot with a lot of people, they come to the website and they figure out how hard it's going to be to do some trips and they say, you know, I could just take a tour. And lots of tour companies understand that and they advertise with us and they put their links on our website. And you can go just about anywhere in the world that you could imagine you might want to go. And there's a tour company there taking you off and doing some really exciting, cool stuff. And I think that's a great way to get out and get your feet wet, even if it's only to get started. That's right. People, people will, there's a company here that used to be called Ferris Wheels. I think it's called now Wheels on the World. And yes. they started taking Enfield trips into India and now they go all over the world. But so many people will do a trip like that because they want to do a motorcycle trip, but they don't have the confidence to, to go off on their own or they don't have mates that want to go with them. Uh, and they don't want to travel on their own. A lot of people don't like travelling on their own. So those sorts of tours, you're still going to experience the bad roads, the bad food, the dodgy hotels, the wonderful people, the extraordinary scenery, but you don't have to deal with the bureaucracy to get your visas because someone else has done that for you and you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep tonight because someone's going to organise that hotel for you. But you're still experiencing, I don't know, 80% of the, the joy at Sometimes least, the yeah. paperwork's a complete and utter pain in the bum, you know. It's not part yeah. of the fun part of the trip. Yeah, and you can Some also do it really... on a short time. You can, you can do it on a very short time. Exactly. You, you don't have if to you... take a six-month or a year trip. You can you can fly into just about anywhere in a couple of days and do a two-week trip or a month's trip and then fly home. And, and have people an can do that on their vacation. Fall. Exactly. Yeah, they have a great time. Yeah, I really, really like my style in inverted form 
of travel. But in the end, what matters is not how somebody travels, but that they travel. Exactly. They that see, they experience, they, they experience these things. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's the experience that's number one. You've got to get out. You've got to see it. You've got to understand it and meet people and see what it's like in other parts of the world. And then they realize, oh, well, you know, actually, maybe I could do this on my own. Mm -hmm. Maybe not somewhere quite as exotic, but I can go lots of places on my own and I feel okay with that. So I yeah. think a lot of times it's a stepping stone to get you started. And for those people who have limited time, maybe they've got a full-time job and they make good money, but they don't have a lot of time, short vacation, especially us poor North Americans, two weeks vacation, three weeks vacation is common. You do what you can and a tour is a great way to do it. Graham, were you going to say something? And, uh, no. <laughs> um, I was just going to add something about the, the returning from trip blues. I actually think people who do a really extraordinary two-week trip, be it uh, a motorcycle ride in India or two weeks on the beach in Fiji, they're going to have um, more blues, deeper blues when they get home than people who have a, a really long, meandering journey because they've had two really intense weeks and they get home on Sunday night and they know on Monday morning their alarm clock's going to go off and they've got to go and deal with it. They've oh, taken yeah, a huge bite out of a fantastic apple, haven't they? Um, yeah. But they know that the rest of the apple is there still and just yeah. as tasty. And I think that would be much, much harder to deal with. Oh. And 50 weeks later, after you can go back to that apple, it's all brown and mouldy and not as good as it was. Got away with words, Mr. Field. <laughs> you should write a book. <laughs> it's it's oh, that would have buy it. <laughs> Well, I guess it's time to do our plugs. So for plugs, what do you have, Shirley? Oh, look, Jim, I'm sorry. I don't have anything. <laughs> My life is so upside down at the moment. Um, sorry. I have, I've let the team down. That's okay. I mean, maybe you have a tip for people who are moving um, how to acclimatize your cats <laughs> to the new home. Uh, look, I know so much about acclimatizing cat to the new home, as you are very aware. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually doing that radio program again today, Jim, so I'll send you the link and see if we discuss my cat again. And sorry, I don't have a plug or a pick. Yeah. Other than I guess oh, I actually, sorry, sorry, Grant, forgive me. Um, I do have a plug. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> horizons, Snowy Mountains Horizons in November. Registration is open. So go to the yeah. webpage and check it all out and uh, come and see us in the Snowy Mountains in November horizonsunlimited.com forward slash events. Yep, you got it. Phew, that was lucky. <laughs> well done, well done, Shirley. And, I would have received an part, email from Susan if I'd forgotten that, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is that it's a four-day event this year. We added it, one oh, more day. That's the best part for some people, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sam, what do you have for plugs? Oh, right, okay. Um, I've got two, and the first one is I want to talk about um, Lisa Thomas's new um, book, um, new cookery book called Dirty Dining. Now, for most people, must have heard of um, Lisa and Simon Thomas, but in case they haven't, they're the two Ride the World duo, and they've been travelling longer than anyone else around the world in a continuous journey. So I think they're well over 13 years now. 
Anyway, Lisa's written a cookbook which is packed with um, essential advice for an extended road trip. And it includes um, a kitchen kit planner, recipes, stories, practical advice, recipes for with different types of foodstuffs that are available around the world. And she also writes about... Um, a basic list of, of goodies that you should take with you, so herbs and um, that sort of stuff. And it, the book isn't intended to be a gourmet um, cooking guide and um, nor a sort of country-by-country country recipe book, but it gets down to the nitty-gritty of um, how to make do when there's nothing much around to eat. So in other words, how can you make things that are fairly ordinary and just happen to be available interesting? And Burger and I travelled somewhere for a while and um, all we could get hold of was potatoes and onions. And you can't go for weeks eating potatoes and onions. The locals, well, they were, but our taste buds demanded a little bit more. So um, Lisa's going to be um, writing about that sort of thing. Um, and she says, and I quote, um, you'll find it possible to produce quick, tasty and nutritious meals whether you're riding at 15,000 feet in the Altiplano the Sahara at 122 degrees or struggling with the sodden tundra fighting elephant-sized mosquitoes. And I thought, yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'd really like to get hold of a copy of this. And I think with Lisa's knowledge and sense of humour, it's going to be excellent. And it, it's a real um, coming soon thing. Um, the book launch is going to be at Overland Expo in Flagstaff um, between May um, sec uh, 12th and 14th. And then the publication date is um, actually on um, June the 1st. And I'll send you guys um, the link for that so that people can um, take, a, uh, take a good look. Are I think it's going to be, be fun. Event? I am indeed. Yeah, um, so I'm in the UK now for oh, about three weeks and then heading over to the States for Overland Expo. I'm really looking forward to it. It's, um, it's a big travel family. Um, and then I'm heading up to um, Portland in Western Oregon for my next event um, at BMW Motorcycles of Western Oregon. And then, um, and that's on the 19th of May. And then Westside Motorsports in, how, am I going to pronounce this right? Um, Spokane. Did I get Spokane. that right this time? Spokane. 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 Okay, yeah. Spokane. Okay. Um, and that's on the 2nd of June. And then after that, it'll be at ADV Motortech in Glendale, California. And that's on the 17th of June. So um, I'm going to be on the road for nearly seven weeks. I can't wait. My feet are itching. What are you going to be writing? Can I just ask a question about the cookbook? Go ahead, Julie. Mm. Does she have a recipe for horse rectum? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I've had a look at the pre-release copy of it, and it looks really good. It's going to be very interesting. And um, my little plug, or one of my plugs, I've got several here, uh, Ontario is September 7 to 10, and Simon and Lisa will be there at the Ontario Travelers Meeting, and uh, you can get their book there. What date was that, Grant? September 7 to 10 in, uh, near Toronto, Ontario. Superb. Yeah. That's going to be good. We're looking forward to that. They haven't been to one of our meetings for a few years. It's never quite worked out. They keep trying, but they never quite make it. But this time they managed to do it. So that's cool. Now, Sam, you had another one? Or uh, Grant? Sorry. That was it. Wow. That was, your, yeah. that was all of them? That was your second one too? Yep, that's it. Graham? What Thanks do you very have? much. Are you still awake? Yeah, I thought Grant had some more. Well, yeah, we're going gonna to get to Grant. He's after you. I've written my list. I can't oh, go to the order. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's in the script. It's in the script. It's in the unscripted script. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't got any, actually. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> what do you have for plugs, Grant? Well, I got a couple of things. First, I want to announce the winners of the Horizons Unlimited 12th Annual Photo Contest. Ooh. We finally got all the winners organized and sorted, and the calendar is on its way to the printer now. For um, so we've got pre-sales are available now. You can order pre-order yours. We actually sold out last year's calendar, which is the first time we've actually completely sold out. We do have a Very few nice. left in Australia, but I do mean a few, like about five left in Australia. So we're really pleased with that. It's gone really well. Um, this year's calendar is going to be spectacular. It's just it, uh, people keep telling me, oh, it gets better every year. Yep, yep, it does. It's amazing. Not, no, no fault of my own, but the photographers, the stuff we get is just amazing. It's only April, so though. You're talking 2018. I feel like you're rushing me through the summer. I haven't even got there yet. We find people want to buy the calendars at the travelers' meetings. So oh, we right. get them out there early. So you've got it. Um, I mean, people still... We sold half of our calendars by September this year, last year. Nice. So yeah, that's get great. in early. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. Um, I want my calendar so just, for the next year early because I, I, if I've got it early, then I can already be marking up stuff on there for for the next year. I hate receiving a, you know, organizing a calendar in December or something like that because, no, I'm already thinking about next year already. Oh, yeah. I printed calendars stuck up on the wall, a, a pre-copy, so that I can start organizing 18. And I've got a, some scraps of paper that are labeled 2019. So, yeah, early is good. <laughs> so, anyway, our first prize winner is George Gill from New Zealand of Tommy Ellis battling through a very muddy road near Sucre, Bolivia. You've all seen muddy road pictures. Well, this one will really get you going. Oh, it's a good one. And he wins the Touratech Compañero World Ride 2 riding suit. Wow. That's a nice, fat wow. prize. That's the wow. top, the jacket and pants, the whole works. It's a great prize from Touratech. We're very grateful to them for support supplying that. That's amazing. And now, does George second, know this? Yes, he does. Wow. He's been told. <laughs> he was very excited. <laughs> so the uh, second prize winner is Helmut Koch from Germany. Of the, You should see this picture. The northern lights with the bike in front and the tent lit up, absolutely spectacular picture of the northern lights and bike. And it just says, I got to get out there. I got to go. I got to I got to see this. Um, so he wins the Touratech Aventuro Mod helmet, which Susan and I have been wearing for the last I don't know, year and a half or something like that. If you haven't got one of these and you're looking for a new helmet, you want one. It's an awesome helmet. Very comfortable, very light, flip up, flip down. Um, what do you call it? Flip down face shield, sun shield. Works great. Really comfortable. Uh, so he's got second prize. And the third prize winner and on the cover is James Duncan from the USA of his campsite on the Uni Salt Flats. We've all seen Salt Flats pictures, but this one's truly special. He's done a really good job on it. And he gets a prize, which is a surprise. Uh, we've just organized a deal with Ripcord Rescue um, a little while ago. I think I announced it last, last uh, ARR Raw, in fact. And they said, hey, we'll give you give a prize to somebody for the for the photo contest. So he gets a rescue ins and insurance prize, which is worth about a thousand dollars for evacuation from anywhere in the world and full medical travel insurance coverage. So he wow, and that's, for that's him a good and, prize. Very uh, cool. Yeah, that's for him and lady friend. So that's wow. two people for a thousand bucks. So he's got himself a fantastic prize. And uh, hopefully that'll get him on the roads again and get out there and do some more traveling. A thousand dollars for two people that. for all that coverage? 
for medical and yeah. wow that doesn't seem Absolutely. like very much money well we've been working on this deal for about two years so we finally got it we're very happy to have it uh, they take people from any country any nationality pretty much i think there's maybe if you're iraqi you might have a problem getting it uh, one or two others uh, but pretty much everybody to go anywhere and yes it's absolutely they know we're riding big motorcycles so you're covered for that and if you crash and burn somewhere horrible they'll fly you out it's a fantastic what's the company deal. called again grant ripcord if you go to horizonsunlimited.com slash ripcord like the thing you pull when you jump out of an airplane and uh you'll find all their information on them right there wow, very superb nice. yeah so we're we're very pleased with that and we're looking to the approximately the same uh, prizes for the next year's contest and you can uh, go to the horizonsunlimited.com slash contest and put your photos in for next year's contest as well and at that same address you can order your 12th annual 2018 calendar pre-order so you'll be sure to get yours as soon as they're available and what else did I want to talk about oh yes for those of you in Southeast Asia India is coming up May 18 to 21 and we were talking about Russia earlier. Russia, June 23 to 25, the first Russian travelers meeting. That's oh, where that's location. in Russia? Between St. Petersburg and Moscow in a national forest. We've got a really cool, cool place. Wait till you see the pictures for it. It's just amazing. So really good riding, great people organizing it. They're really excited about it. So it's going to be something else. That's the Nikonovs, right? That's Alex Nikonov, yes. Yeah. Wow, that and Graham's neat. on his way there now because he loves Russia so much. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, busy that weekend. <laughs> Cleaning no, out you your sock drawer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very important. So that's the main thing. So Horizons Unlimited events, um, check out the calendar. Uh, as I've said this many times, if you're planning a trip anywhere in the world, anytime, first place you go is horizonsunlimited.com slash events. See what's coming up someplace interesting and see if you can make it fit. We've got 25 events this year. So wherever you are, there's something going on. And uh, somebody asked me recently, um, how do I get a traveler's meeting in my area? And I said, well, you just made the first step. Just let me know you want to do one, and we'll help you create a traveler's meeting in your part of the world. That was Alex. Oh, was <laughs> it? Now we've got Russia. Very nice. Alex is also the one that has the moto tour company. I was talking about Russian uh, moto travel company. What were you going to say, yeah. Sam? Yeah, I was just going to say, Grant, you you and Susan must be um, really proud of what you've done with so much of your lives. The number of people that you guys have helped to be inspired and get out on the road, um, yeah, I think that's very, very special. And if you guys aren't feeling proud, then you bloody well ought to be. Nice one. <laughs> Thank you, Sam. Yeah, we're 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 very humbled by all the people that get out there and do these amazing trips. You know, I look at what some of these guys are doing. I think, Oh my God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's really hard. <laughs> but that we helped those people get out and inspired them to get out and gave them the information they need to get out and do something really special. What really makes me feel, I don't know, I'm not sure what words to use for it, but somebody comes back and they sent me a letter and said, you know, that was the most amazing thing we've ever done. And it was because you inspired us to get out and go. That's that's really something. That's fantastic. Well, that wraps up ARR Raw for April 2017. Thanks, everyone. Oh, wait. After show party. 
after show parties. Yeah, we haven't been having good after show parties lately. I mean, uh, the last few ones, I mean, they're, I don't know. It, it, like, it was just out of, I don't know, Graham didn't want us at his place. I just, we need a good one here. Why don't we trash Shirley and Brian's old house? They've sold it now. <laughs> now there's an idea. I was thinking the new place. <laughs> right, we just want to go and trash the place. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, why not? All right, yeah, let's do it. We can throw your TV, which is a fixture and fitting, out the window. <laughs> Come on, we'll go to Shirley and Brian's place it. and look at the roses. And the sun's <laughs> up now, so you can actually see something. All right, throw another shrimp on the Barbie. that wraps up april 2017 for arr raw and don't forget you can listen to all the episodes for raw for free on our website www.adventureriderradio.com and of course you can listen to our main show adventure rider radio all for free now if you like what we're doing and you want to donate as i said at the start of the show we really appreciate it just click on the donate button you got a bunch of different ways to donate we can send you a sticker back for ten dollars or more or fifty dollars or more you get a mention here on this show and everything helps everything helps keep the show going we really appreciate it the other thing you can do is share the show hey if you you got a place on facebook or wherever you're talking with people let other people know about the show more listeners the better it makes it better for all of us thanks very much get out there and ride my name's jim martin see you next month